You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are continuing our series of It's Okay to Not Be Okay. This is our third iteration, so it's volume three. Um, And we've taken an interest in mental health as a church. It's one of those things that we've decided years ago that we would become passionate about because, well, people at the mission are known for being real. (laughs) We're known for being authentic. Well, and in reality, in a congregation, people follow the lead of the pastor. And so Pastor Jason, he always leads the cause with authenticity, with being genuine and sharing on his own personal struggles. And so that inspires us, and we share on our struggles as well. And so this being our third time, I've been thinking about past years when so many of you have shared uh, you know, Jeff Allen has shared on some of his struggles. Uh, Pastor Jason has shared on some of his struggles. And, and many of you come to mind that have been a part of this, of saying it's okay to not be okay, because unfortunately in the world there is a stigma around mental health. And unfortunately, unfortunately excuse me, uh, there is a stigma in the church as well. And I mean the, 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 the big C church, so to speak, so the church worldwide. Um, And so we try to establish here a culture of openness, of dialogue, of of being here to comfort each other. In fact, this year, as we've been doing it, we've been uh, quoting a passage that reminds us to comfort each other with the comfort that we have received from God. Now, in today's uh, sermon on it's okay to not be okay, the topic is anxiety. And everyone struggles with some level of anxiety, right? Everyone struggles with worrying. And so that's what anxiety is. In fact, it's a fear. Anxiety or worry is primarily a fear. It's something that, it's an outcome that you are afraid of. That's primarily what it is, an outcome that you are afraid of. Now, there's different levels, as I just said, of anxiety. And so there's the typical everyday worry that some of you experience on a day-to-day basis. In fact, that I would bet many of you are experiencing right now because it happens to me that sometimes I can't even enjoy life because I'm worried about what's coming tomorrow, right? Um, In my case, I'm not a mental health expert, but I share because, well, I have two clinically diagnosed conditions of anxiety. The first one I was diagnosed in the eighth grade Uh, I have obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. And unfortunately, in movies and in TV shows, it gets portrayed as people who who can't have, like, say, a frame that's a little misaligned, or you have to wash your hands a lot, or you have to count how many times you lock the door. And in reality, very few of those apply to me, and OCD is wider than that. Uh, OCD is defined by obsessions and compulsions, and it's a vicious cycle of obsessions and compulsions. And mine actually had nothing to do with the physical world. It was all mental. Some people call it pure O, OCD. Um, In my case, I was reading the Bible. 
when it first happened, when, when, I, when, when I had my crisis moment, as some people would call it, and I was reading the Bible, and I was reading the passage. Some of you are familiar with church, some of you are not, but I was reading the passage that talks about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That was it. And uh, I had a crisis because I saw, at least at face value, a passage that said that if you were to commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that's the unforgivable sin. Um, and so it created a fear, an anxiety, a worry in me. What if I've committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit accidentally? Or what if I do commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? All that is a side topic. And if you have questions on what the heck the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, I welcome you to talk to me after service. That's not the main thing here. The main thing is I needed help. And at the time, my family was uh, Catholic, and I was a practicing Catholic, and my mom took me to a priest. And so, unfortunately, how does the majority of society react not the way the priest did, thank God, the priest did the right thing? The majority of society, when they hear that you're worrying a lot or that you have anxiety, they say, well, you just need to pray more. You need to trust God more. Your faith is weak. This is weird stigma. Um, And that's not the approach that my priest at the time took. In fact, when my mom talked to him about all the little things that I was doing because of my anxiety, the priest said, look, he's doing things I don't do, uh, and I'm a priest, and he needs help. You need to take him to a psychiatrist. And so that started the journey for me. And I went to a psychiatrist, and I was diagnosed with obsessive-compulsive disorder. And to this day, I take a pill for it because it's okay to not be okay, right? It's okay. If you're diabetic, you have to get insulin. It's okay. Then, when I was much older, I developed generalized anxiety disorder. In grad school, I used to have a lot of hair, believe it or not. I lost all my hair in one semester. All of it, gone, um, because of the anxiety that it caused. And uh, it took actually a physical toll in me, um, a very painful physical toll. Um, and so I kind of recovered my mental journey. Again, I had kind of abandoned it, and I went back to therapy. And I rediscovered things that I had learned at a young age, and that's what I want to talk about. See, therapists talk about this thing for anxiety or for depression. You can use it equally. It's called CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, CBT. And as weird as CBT is and as weird as the motorcycles are in the back, (laughs) awkward, Um, as weird as OCD or, um, yeah, see, the Harleys threw me off. All right. As weird... (laughs) I lost my train of thought. Where was I? Cognitive behavioral therapy. There you go. As weird as that name sounds, cognitive behavioral therapy, I think, actually has a biblical foundation. Because cognitive behavioral therapy is all about realizing what is wrong about the way you think. It's about becoming conscious about how you're thinking and correcting the way you're thinking. And that is biblical. See, when Jesus meets problems... In the world, when he meets ways of thinking that are erroneous in the world, what he does is he helps people identify that they're thinking wrong. He then helps them 
realize why they're thinking wrong, and then he proceeds to tell them how to think rightly. And this is a lot of what CBT, in my experience, has done for me. It's a lot of what I've been taught throughout the years. In fact, I have three R's that I use to keep my uh, obsessive thoughts and my anxious thoughts in control. Recognize, reevaluate, and refocus. And we're going to see this pattern in how Jesus addresses anxiety. So to do that, open your virtual Bibles or your physical Bibles, or if you don't have a Bible, guess what? It's going to be on the screen. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. It's important, by the way, that this follows... After Jesus has done the Lord's Prayer, that follows after he's talked about praying to God. So there's, unfortunately, I wish I had time to unpack the, the, the sequence because it's important to realize this isn't just an isolated lesson on anxiety. This comes from the Lord's Prayer. In fact, it flows from the Lord's Prayer. But verse 25, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, a lot to unpack there. But Jesus takes this approach, which again, a lot of Christian psychologists and secular psychologists do which is first recognize that you are being anxious, that there is something wrong about how you're thinking. Some psychologists call this the spectator. Become your own spectator. Step outside and look, and don't be invested in what you're thinking. Think about what you're thinking. Recognize. Identify that you're having anxious thoughts. The second one, Reevaluate. Reevaluate what it is that you're thinking wrong and what should you be thinking according to kingdom principles. And step three, refocus. Let's see all of these in the passage. Well, first and foremost, 
to not be anxious requires you to recognize that you are being anxious. But you have to also reevaluate what's wrong about your thinking. Jesus gives us such a simple reminder. Can you add a single hour to your span of life by worrying? Can you solve the problem you're worrying about by worrying? You can't. Not typically. We have to clarify that there are things that we worry about that, you know, they're natural concerns. We have a sick family member, someone who's going through chemotherapy, someone who's battling uh, a disease. God forbid they're battling COVID, right, and they're intubated, whatever. We have real concerns. So it's not about not being concerned. It's about how we respond to our concerns. When we do experience this concern, this worry, how do we respond? Can I do anything by worrying? And so I reevaluate. Look, not only does Jesus say, which of you being anxious can add a single hour, he also tells us in uh, verse, let's see here. Uh, yes, verse 28, the following verse. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? So now I've reevaluated. I can't do anything by worrying. But what I can do is realize, realize that God cares for me and he will take care of me. So I replace the wrong thinking with the right thinking. Again, wrong thinking. I can't solve the problem by worrying. Right thinking. God takes care of me. He promises that he takes care of me. He takes care of the birds. He takes care of the grass, of the flowers. Why won't he take care of me? Are, am I not of more value? Am I not a son of God? And are you not a son or daughter of God? And you have to remind yourself that you are in equivalent standing to Jesus, to the Father, if you are a disciple of Christ. By no merit of your own, you are seen the way Jesus is seen by the Father. So if you are a son or a daughter, a child of God, will he not much more care for you than he does the birds or the grass, the lilies, he will. So I need to replace wrongful thinking, I can't solve this by worrying, with right thinking, God will take care of me. Now, God will take care of me is almost an incomplete phrase. God will take care of me provided that I am seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So I need to refocus so I've recognized that I'm being anxious. I've reevaluated. I can't solve anything by worrying. Worrying does nothing to solve the problem. What I can do is realize that God promises to provide, to take care of me, that I'm his son, that I'm his daughter, that he will take care of his child, provided that I am concerned about the kingdom. Recognize, reevaluate, refocus. And refocusing doesn't mean focusing on the problem again. In fact, 
What you do when you refocus is think entirely about something else than the worry that you're experiencing. You can focus on something like gratitude. What are you grateful to God for? You can focus on the presence of God, worshiping him for who he is. This is what it means to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, to walk like him, to be like him, to be joyful like him, to be loving. And if you think about all those good things, and if you concern yourself with all the good things, you've shifted by now your thinking away from erroneous thinking to kingdom thinking. That's the model that Jesus sets in motion for us. I don't know if we have the table, so I'm going to ask. I, I did this last minute, but James, do we have a table that could be on screen or no? Okay, all right. So I'm going to show you how I do this, and you can do this now. In fact, I want to turn this kind of like into an active exercise. All of you, whether new or not, have Connect cards in front of you. Uh, maybe, Mike, you can reach behind you to get a Connect card. Get a Connect card, flip it around... And I want you to write three things on that Connect card, one row. It's going to be recognize, reevaluate, and refocus. Right? You don't have to do this. Don't feel pressured. <laughs> You're not my students. Calm down. <laughs> no bonus points either, though. So first, in your, from left to right on your row, recognize. Second, reevaluate. And third, refocus. And what I want to do is I want to allow you to take a moment to think. I want you to recognize what are your common, some of your common anxieties. Think about what some of your common anxieties are. And you're going to write it under the recognize column. Again, you have recognize, reevaluate, refocus. Each of these is a column. And I want you to think some about, about some of the common things that you worry about. I can share some of mine in the meantime. I worry a lot about unfinished work that I have at the office, a lot, which I can't finish by worrying, by the way, but I think a lot about that, and I am never able to enjoy the moment. A movie I'm watching, an outing, always in the background, I have that noise. I need to do this. I need to do this. Column number two. Reevaluate. Identify in your reevaluation what it is that's wrong about your thinking in that concern. It's not that it's a bad concern, but what is wrong about worrying? See, now I see here on the screen, these are some of the examples I wrote. I am worried about unfinished work during my downtime. That's my recognize. I reevaluated by saying, can I get anything done by, well, I should say worrying. That was my typo instead of working. <laughs> can I get anything done by worrying about this? God reminds me that rest is important. I need to rest. And then refocus, refocus. I shift completely away from what's worrying me. Now that I've identified that there's nothing I can do about it, that I can't solve my problem by worrying about it, and now I think about something else that brings me joy, that gives me peace, that gives me 
uh, in fact, if it brings you to the presence of God even better, I refocus on something else. The hardest part about this process, as you think through these and you write them, is we don't, we're not used to stepping outside of ourselves and identifying the thinking that we're doing. We flow with the thought of worry. Whatever is worrying you, you dwell on that. And so the hardest part is to step out and stop it and say, I am worrying. My therapist taught me a phrase that I use all the time. There I go again. That's the phrase. In my head, I say, there I go again. Sometimes I even say it out loud. When I'm worrying about something that I can't solve, there I go again. I can't solve this by worrying. I should focus on something else. Correct it with kingdom thinking as well as you reevaluate. Think about how God takes care of it. See, the refocus part is just as important as identifying what's wrong about your thinking. The refocus part is important because I think, biblically, you can argue this is, if you take it seriously, how you can have the presence of God overwhelm your senses so that anxiety is left in the background. Often, we quote Philippians 4, 6 through 7 when talking about anxiety. We say, do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I'm paraphrasing it a bit. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Something like that. After that, we often forget the verse that follows it. And it's a refocus. Finally, brothers, Philippians 4, verse 8 through 9, says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, the list isn't over, by the way, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received, which is, by the way, the kingdom of God, and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I love the switch of the words. It doesn't say the peace of God. The God of peace will be with you. The very presence of God will be with you. So, to reiterate and remind ourselves of these three steps. First, recognize. Step Second, reevaluate. So recognize number one is I identify that I'm having an anxious thought. I step outside of myself and I see that I am worrying about something. Then I reevaluate. I can't solve this by worrying. What does God teach me? Why don't I have to worry? Reevaluate. Why don't I have to worry? And then refocus. Move away from that and think kingdom living, kingdom goodness. Think of all the good things. Make a list of what you're thankful for. The last thing that I want to leave, again, this is not, again, I'm not an expert on mental health, but something that has helped me and that some of my colleagues at CBU at California Baptist University that are psychologists 
and that our researchers in psychology, uh, they, they have uh, done research on this. It's called the Jesus Prayer. The Jesus Prayer. It's, <clears throat> excuse me, it is a beautiful short prayer that's super easy to memorize. The Jesus Prayer is an example of what is called contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer can scare some people. Because when you hear contemplative prayer, you might think Eastern type things. You might be thinking that, that doesn't sound very Christian. What, what's, what the heck is contemplative prayer? Well, there, there is contemplative prayer that done with the proper understanding is shown. Researchers have identified that it can help dramatically with anxiety the same way it would help you if you were going to a therapist. So... One example of contemplative prayer is the Jesus prayer, and it goes like this. It's really simple. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Done. Now, contemplative prayer is all about dwelling and contemplating on God as you repeat that phrase. You got you to gotta understand, why, why are Christians always afraid of contemplative prayer? Because it can go wrong. It's not the phrase that you're repeating. You're not doing an incantation. You're not saying, when God am leviosa, right? You're not doing that. That's not what you're doing. You're not doing a spell, right? For my Harry Potter fans in the house. You're not saying a spell. The power isn't in the words. The power is in the heart behind the prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. It has two parts, and this is one of the most ancient prayers of the Christian church, by the way. It has two parts. The first part says, Lord Jesus Christ, it is about recognizing who Jesus is. So you just don't say, Lord Jesus Christ, you think about who he is. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. In fact, I just realized that's the most complete version of that prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, Messiah. Redeemer, have mercy on me, a sinner. And as you do it, you start to breathe as well, because God built our bodies to use breathing to change our physiology and to relax. And you say, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you say it again, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This prayer started around the fourth century in the Egyptian des desert. Early monastic communities were going into the desert to kind of get away from all the busyness and toil and connect with God. And so a group of monks would do this with frequent repetition because they wanted to have the presence of God with them continually. They were trying to follow Paul's advice to pray over and over again. They wanted to be always connected to God. And then eventually it got picked up by, I think, the Eastern Orthodox Church. And eventually now it is part of the Book of Common Prayers in the Anglican Church. It's one of the main prayers in the Anglican Church. Uh, another uh, denomination of, of Christian believers. So, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
The focus is away from the erroneous thinking, from the worrying. The focus is on God. In fact, what they would say is that they were trying to cultivate hyzekia, which is a weird Greek word that means being in union with God. So when I have union with God through this, and as I say, have mercy on me, a sinner, you're asking God to give you that peace that surpasses understanding. You're not just asking mercy from your sins. You're asking for mercy so that he supplies the Holy Spirit to you, that he would fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you would be rejoicing and worshiping and in awe of God and not focused on your erroneous thinking, on that weird worry that's in the back of your mind constantly. I can relate, as the worship team comes back, I can relate to a lifetime of worry. In fact, I feel like worry and anxiety are like my middle name, and they've taken such a toll on me. It's been physical. It, it, it has damaged me physically throughout my life. And yet, I am so thankful for, for the journey that God has walked me through as a disciple in discovering how to rely on him and how to release more control to him more and more. Just realize, as we start to close this, that the solution to your worry isn't to find a solution. The reason you're worrying about it is because there is no foreseeable solution. The reason we can stop worrying is because he has a solution. He is sovereign. Even when it doesn't play out the way that we wanted, he is sovereign. He has a plan for good for you. He is using you to, to do good works, to, to, to preach the gospel to others, to comfort others. Remember, we are afflicted so that when we are comforted, we can comfort those that are also being afflicted. So as I ask Pastor Jason to pray for us in just a moment, I'm going to pass the mic to him. I want you to Think about those constant worries that you have, whatever it is, job, again, they're all good concerns, job, health, income, debt, kids that have gone astray, or, you know, family situations that in which you're no longer talking to a relative, whatever the worry is, it is worth concern, but realize, as Jason prays for us, that you can't control it. You can't solve it by worrying. So let's pray. Father God, we surrender to you the things that are beyond our control. I want you, congregation, to just maybe under your breath or think about one thing you need to surrender right now and just offer it up and surrender to the Lord. Father God, I surrender to you. 
things are chaotic and when things are stressful and out of my control, Lord, I surrender this to you. Things feeling out of control is us at themissionredlands.com.